It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, we did it. Week one is in the books. We're both alive and well. Neither of us has filed for bankruptcy due to a series of ill-fated wagers yet. I think you had a better day than I did. We, We definitely have a lot of football to talk about, which we will get to, but first, you know, how you feeling? How how's it feel to be back on this fine fine Sunday morning? Like back back. I'm a little concerned because I did have a pretty good Saturday, which means week two is destined for bloodshed, and I'm not going to have any discipline. And I think I know everything about the gambling world, and I'm just going to be pounded for it. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation next week about how I lost everything and I'm now homeless. But it was really like the first week of college football is just so cool because you really don't know what you're going to get. These are still younger guys. The NFL is the same way a little bit in that they don't practice a lot anymore. But with college, like these are young guys. They don't have the discipline that 28, 29-year-olds do to get ready for a season in some cases. 
I know college has a little better camp, I feel like, but it is, um, it's great to be back. It was, uh, it was an interesting day to say the least. Yeah. And what is also interesting is Chuck is actually on a submarine right now. You can probably tell he had to pick up a backup mic. He had to call somebody (laughs) off the bench. He may or may not be trying to find the remnants of the Titanic, but I think it's interesting what you bring up sort of in general and I, I know what you're saying, but that's also why I thought the football sucked. Or I thought a lot of the games, like there weren't a lot of great games. Yeah, um, I wanted there to be more fun games, and there just there wasn't. There was Colorado TCU. We can get into that if you want, but um, not a lot of ranked matchups. Even you know last night. I thought West Virginia, Penn State might be a little more interesting. It wasn't. North Carolina, South Carolina was good for a half. Like it was just, but again, it's week one, which is why I'm not going to overreact throughout the rest of this pod. But let's start to sort of get into some things. Obviously, the lead here and what this episode will revolve around is Ohio State and the Buckeyes' week one victory over Indiana this Saturday. But before that, Chuck, I must ask a, a big important question. Are you a fan of an NFL team? You know I am. And would you love to attend your team's, your favorite team's week one game? You know I do. Well, then you're in luck. Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice, up to $5,000. The rules to enter are simple. Go to contest.fansfirstsports.com. That is contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out the appropriate information. And that's it. Once you've done that, you've been officially registered to win the four free tickets to any week one NFL game. So what are you waiting for, Chuck? Go enter for your first shot at seeing your favorite team in action. Contest ends on September 4th. So by the time this comes out, you will have about 24 hours, I think. You going to get in on that, Chuck? I, I I knew about it ahead of time, so I've already signed up. I'm way ahead of the game. And full disclosure, I have no idea if we're even eligible. I assume we are. We're not, <laughs> um, we're not but I'm signed up anyway, just in case they forget. Under a pseudonym. I like it. All right, partner, let's get let's get back on track here. Let's get down to brass tacks. How's that sound? Our beloved Ohio State Buckeyes opened their 2023 football season with a 23-3 win over the Indiana Hoosiers. I I just want to get a few knee jerk reactions from you. I know you have quite a quite a few of them. What stood out? Who impressed? If anybody, who disappointed? Just rapid fire. Go. What are Chuck's feelings on the game? I'm gonna make your day because I really think Kate Stover had a good game. I thought he played really well. <laughs> I thought the running backs looked good. The issues in the short yardage, I don't believe, was running back related. I think that was play calling and offensive line related. I wish that we had got to see more of the running backs. I know it was kind of a game that just wasn't enough plays ran. So we, we didn't get to see everybody get to do everything, which hopefully we'll get to see here in the next couple of days or a couple of games. The back, I guess you would call it seven of the defense, played really well. And I thought – The line had moments, especially the defensive tackles. I don't know 
I know they didn't throw the ball until the second half a lot, but I wasn't, there wasn't a ton there from a pass rush perspective on the outside that I thought we were going to see. I thought that was going to be a, a really dominant performance by them. And it really wasn't the tackles really stood out. The linebackers were obviously all over the place. Like we thought I saw number six on my screen about 48 times near a play and he was everywhere. And I know we have been hard on him and I know he only played, it looked like for about the first half, but Josh Proctor held up. I was shocked to see that he was the one that was out there but he, he was around the ball. He was making plays. And defensively, I don't think there's a ton you could get upset about. I do think they've got to figure out some, some pressure on the outside. But offensively, it's like the opposite. There wasn't much. The running backs looked decent when they were able to get into some space. And Cade was able to find some holes. And that's all I got. Well, we're going to get into all of those things. As far as your knee-jerk reactions go, I'm a little disappointed that you, again, sort of buried the lead. Julian Fleming was actually the leading receiver. Uh, when you just look at catches, I thought that he he might catch 130 balls this year. but For 428 yards. I'll let you have that one. Uh, we'll just sort of move on. What Chuck and I want to do for most of these... Uh, you know, game after episodes is obviously hit on the big topics and big happenings within the game, but also just try to look at most or all position groups and just sort of discuss performance within those groups. We will try to mix it up a bit each week, but a post game pod is still a post game pod, right? At the end of the day, we also plan to hand out some weekly awards and or shamings or whatever the opposite of an award is, I guess. We'll do that within reason. Try not to ruffle too many feathers, but if Chuck does eventually call for the head of Jim Knowles or Brian Hartline or even Ryan Day, just know that he is doing so with a heart full of love. I'll give you my knee-jerk reactions. I agree with what a lot of what you said, <clears throat> and I have just I am determined to not let myself overreact. To week one. Now, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. it. It wasn't a good game, in my opinion. I There's a lot that we are going to get into, and I think we'll have a good back and forth on. Not a good performance. Uh, I thought the, the coaching, especially on the offensive side of the ball, was questionable. Uh, it was curious. I'm not real sure what was going on. We obviously did not get to see much of the two quarterbacks that we thought we might see. And, uh, I mean, Ohio State was outscored by Iowa. So that's sort of all that needs to be said. However, Ohio State also surrendered less than Iowa. If that is our measuring stick, which it should not be, and I hope that it's not for much of the year. I don't know that there were a ton of silver linings other than the defense, but look, it's week one. It's on the road. It is a 330 kick, which for whatever reason, like 330 kicks are just, they're sort of garbage. Ohio State often struggles at 330 for whatever reason. And I'm just going to, I'm going to cling to week one. I think that 
Ryan Day is a fantastic coach, and this was sort of like an exhibition that counted, obviously, and it's not what he wanted to see, but I'm not going to tear into him or Kyle McCord or anybody else like I've seen a lot of other people doing. This could be a precursor to an 8-4 and four season, for all we know, but... I'm not week one doesn't change my opinion, I guess. Would you do you think that that's fair to just let sit and let it breathe for a minute? I do because you're right. There is something to this is the first game. Now, I do think there's something to the idea that if this doesn't um, quickly change, like there isn't like we talk about a run up to Notre Dame, you really don't have a run up in the sense of you can play offensively like you did to, or yesterday the next two weeks and then expect to turn it on at Notre Dame. You've got to see significant improvements next week and the week after so that when you actually play a competitor that is rival to you talent-wise, you're ready to go. Because frankly, let, let's, be, let's just be completely honest. Indiana stinks. Like we talked about <laughs> this last week. We talked about it the two weeks prior. They stink. If they win four games this year, I will be blown away. They're not a good football team. Those quarterbacks are not good. Their defense apparently is the 85 Bears up front, but that's <laughs> but they're not they're not a good football team. And Ohio State struggled with them for two and a half quarters, and even then it was just they just got far enough away that Ohio or Indiana's offense couldn't do anything to catch up. So. Yes, I'm not ready to panic, but this is a really big week for them to have to make significant changes in order for that panic meter to not start rising a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if they need to do a 180 against Youngstown State, but they need to do at least like a a 120, a 150. Like it needs to be a very different game, and I think that it will be. But let's just, let's stick with Indiana for a second since you brought them up. I do think they're... Their defense did some things. I'm not sure that I can give them a ton of credit, but I will to at least the the secondary. I think that they, whether Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka were featured, targeted, whatever, a ton, they didn't produce. So you have to give the Indiana secondary some credit there. I thought Aaron Casey was super disruptive. Now, when you're not blocked repeatedly on your run blitzes pretty easy right and so I know that that's going to come up but he was a good player he is a good player you know he had 90 tackles last year so they did some things I don't even know what you can say about their quarterbacks because Tom Allen and Walt Bell neutered the piss out of both of those guys you know I get it maybe you don't have confidence in either one of them Maybe you don't want to destroy their confidence. You want to just keep the game close, bleed the clock, things like that. But on top of my team, Ohio State, not looking very good, I was the, I, I then became more frustrated because Indiana wasn't trying. Like, <clears throat> I get trying to keep it close and milk these long possessions, but I think that through three quarters they had they had attempted like seven or eight passes. I know that Brendan Soresby 
had a, a decent drive or two in the fourth quarter. But at one point, those two quarterbacks were two for seven for 27 yards. They just weren't trying. They were like, look, hand the ball off three straight times. We'll try and make it look funky with this read option or this option game. But at the end of the day, even on like third and 10, third and long, they're like, all right, hand up the gut. All right, little little option play here. <clears throat> if If you're playing a game, period, play to win. And that really annoyed me. And then Tom Allen talked about being frustrated and a lot of upset people in the locker room. Like, man, they should be upset at you. They should be pissed off at you because they weren't trying. And then if you hang with Ohio State, even if that's your approach early, if you hang with them, take some shots in the second and or third quarter. Like, you're there. Go for it just a little bit. And they did. And again, I know that the talent maybe might not be the greatest, but Taven Jackson, we talked about it pre pregame pod, right? He was a top 12 quarterback in his class two years ago. It says he went one for five. I'd have to go back and watch all five pass attempts to see if they were legit, but they just, they didn't let him do anything when they, Threw at Cam Camper, Indiana. Like he he came down with some balls. Dequise Carter's the kid from Fordham who had twelve hundred yards and twelve hundred touchdowns last year. I just thought back me up on on this in a, a general sense. I just thought it was a really weird game plan by Indiana, but then also by Ohio State, and maybe that's our runway. I feel like Ohio State was either uber conservative they didn't have the juice they couldn't find the rhythm like your stars weren't they need to be force fed that didn't happen at least on the outside so that's why I struggled to really take anything from this game other than Ohio State's defense which I don't even know if I count like it was just a weird game overall both teams it was like two boxers feeling each other out and then all of a sudden it's the 12th round like the game was almost over. They're like, oh shit, somebody has to win or, you know, or try to do some things here. The part about the defense that I actually give them some credit for is because Indiana was so unconventional and kind of conservative. Like you're almost, they weren't, they weren't prepared for that. There's no way the defense. They said it. Watch. They said it. They didn't even see it on tape. Yeah. So that's, that was actually really positive that they were able to kind of adjust on the fly. Now I do think, in a sense, it's a little easier to adjust down to the run versus back out if a team that that pat or runs a lot can all of a sudden hit a couple shots. But they still did it, and and that's mm-hmm. a, a really positive. So I I I think that's a a good sign. The struggle I have with like the concept of like the play calling and stuff like that the, the crazy part is is this is the first game like you had all off season why is this not the game and we talked we've talked about in the past the concept of ryan day is good when he gets a few weeks off to prepare for a team like he was really good calling plays at georgia well how much more time did he need than <laughs> 10 months or nine months like this should have been the game that he had a no matter what he's had time and he could have had an entire play sheet ready for Kyle McCord for Devin Brown everybody so that when he named a starter 
he knew what was going into it. Kyle McCord's been around for three years. Do we not know what plays he likes? Do we not know what plays he's good at yet? Have we not watched him practice at all? Like, what do, what's going on in that concept? It just seemed like the team got together last week and then they're playing a football game. It, it, it didn't seem like they'd been around each other for the last three to four weeks after summer workouts, after a spring camp, that all these guys were at. I know Brown was hurt, but he didn't play, so it didn't matter that he was hurt in spring because he didn't affect the play calling. So I don't – discombobulated is a good word, and it was, it was something that I hope to see a, a little more sharpness, if nothing else, starting next week. Maybe this is how the quarterback battle – hamstrings you I'm, I'm right like they needed to have a better plan off the rip but if they were rotating quarterbacks maybe that's why the game looked the way that it did um and it's funny though because first series of the game pretty seamless looked pretty good featured Travion Henderson quite a bit um got it to some guys but it's like then they hit the wall. I don't know if they scripted that first drive and everything went according to plan and then things sort of went awry, but you mentioned or you brought up the plays that Kyle McCord is comfortable with. It seemed like when they let him push the ball downfield, he was much more comfortable and he was willing to sort of let it loose. But I think it's pretty evident that Ryan Day and or Brian Hartline and or whomever lacked confidence in these guys going into that first week, which, that again, that seems sort of odd because normally if you lack confidence, your guys up front are, aren't great in pass pro. I think that was their strength. Your quarterback struggles pushing the ball down the field. I think that that was actually Kyle McCord's strength in this game. So, I don't know. I just I hope that they shake it off and we look back at this as sort of an odd, fluky start to the season. Discombobulated, like you said, is a good word. But, um... I don't know. Let's start talking some position groups. Let's take a little break here. We'll come back and then we'll heat on, hit on each position group and sort of talk about hits, misses, winners, losers, things like that. Sound good? Let's do it. Alright everybody, welcome back to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast with Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley, and we are here talking week one. Ohio State defeated Indiana 23-3 in Bloomington. A real house of horrors, hostile environment. That's why the game did not turn out the way that we thought that it would. But Chuck and I are going to look at each of these position groups to whatever extent we feel like, honestly. Whether we go one minute or an hour, TBD, first week of the year, it's Sunday morning. Your guy had a couple post-game cocktails, so we're just going to feel it out. We're going to see how it goes. Let's start with quarterback, Chuck. 
not really a talking point. I, I don't think many people mentioned this going into the game. Certainly nobody was talking about it after. We thought that we would see two quarterbacks. We saw 90% Kyle McCord. I'd have to break down the snap count. I assume it's something like 90%. And I know that a lot of people are like, oh, Ryan Day's a liar. Can't trust him. I think it was game script that got away from him. I I truly believe that he wanted to and, and banked on being up 14 early, something like that, and then getting Devin Brown some meaningful snaps. And then just the way that, Indiana was choking the clock. Ohio State only had five possessions in the first half, one of which went to Devin Brown. He was three and out. It is what it is, but he got 20% of the possessions. So, and then it was just, it was close throughout. So I don't think that this went according to plan. What we did see from Kyle McCord, he looked like a first-time starter. And he's not a first-time starter. This is actually his second start. But... He looked like a guy who would not start a football game in a long, long time, which is true. I think that he had ups and downs. For the most part, I thought he threw the ball fairly well. I mean, I know that he had uh, a pick that he regrets. I'm not going to put too much blame on him for that. It was a fourth down. He either eats it. Or tries to make a play. And he had a wide, uh, a fullback, running back, whatever we want to call it, Chip Trianum, out in the flat was going to be wide open. That may have gone for six. And I, I guess it was within five yards or something. Indiana just tackled the, the primary target on that. The interception wasn't a good play. You can't throw against your body. I know in the second half, tried to find Marvin Harrison Jr. a couple of times. Simple out. He missed. Fade into the end zone, didn't get the ball high enough. So he wasn't a 10 out of 10 by any means. But I thought that when he was allowed to push the ball down the field, like I said earlier, he looked decent. Um, even early on, the play that Julian, the deep ball to Julian Fleming, not exactly a dime, but it was right there. Like it was a it was an okay placed ball for his first real shot of the game. The throw down the seam to Cade Stover I thought was a great ball. Threw a good one to Carnell Tate in the second half. The Carnell Tate dropped. Hit Marvin Harrison Jr. for what we thought was a touchdown. Like, there were good throws in there. And I thought his decision making was decent. There was also a play early on. It may have been on the Julian Fleming deep ball where he missed his guy Marvin Harrison Jr. Sort of wide open on the, the right or left third of the field. I think that there's stuff to build on. I think if you're going, if he's going to be your starter, which he may or may not be going forward, you got to let him cook um, and see what he really has. Even if that recipe turns out to be a disaster, let him get the ball to his guys. I don't think they featured Marvin Harrison Jr. at all. I don't think they tried to feature Mecca Buka at all. I think Kyle McCord is a shotgun drop back, get the ball out of his hands quarterback. And they sort of messed him up. Oh, boy. So this is where we're going to disagree more than any. And it's mostly to do with the coaching aspect of this. And I just cannot accept the idea that the game got away from the the head coach and the play caller. 
if the game got away from him, he can't call the plays or make the decision. Like, he can't. You can't let that game get up. You cannot let Indiana get away from you to the point that you don't play your quarterback that you say you're going to play. If he's not good enough to play in a close game, why is he even playing? So if Devin Brown's not good enough, just name him the number two. If he's good enough and he earned the opportunity to play, he's got to play. And if you can't handle both responsibilities and we've, we as Buckeye fans and uh, uh, podcast personalities have talked ad nauseum. Twitter was on fire with it yesterday. If you can't handle both parts of this, the play calling and the running the team aspect of it, you've got to give the play calling up. And you gave it up all, all summer, but come game time, you took it back. And guess what? You called a shit game and you didn't manage the quarterbacks the way you said you were going to do. So to me, that's like a dereliction of duty on Ryan Day's part in this game. Like he did not manage his team as a head coach at an acceptable level. And the result was an offense that looked terrible. He's an offensive guy. He's a quarterback guru. And they both looked terrible. Yes, McCord had some moments. But you have two top 15 picks in the draft on the outside and you don't throw them the ball. And if you don't call the plays for, if you call the plays and he doesn't throw it to them and then you don't go to the other quarterback, what are we doing? So either you didn't call the plays that need to go to those guys or you didn't make the change that you should have made to go see if the other guy can make those throws. Right. We all talk and joke about Cage Stover. We all joke and we talk about Julian Fleming. They can't lead this team offensively. They are complementary pieces. They are the guys that when the, the lead guys are getting double teamed are opening. The lead guys were single team. Like a ton of those throws were to just single coverage. Indiana didn't even really roll a ton to those guys. They didn't have to. It's like the, it's almost like Indiana knew early. We don't have to worry about it because these guys aren't a part of the game plan. So I don't even know if Kyle McCord is good because I just think they did an absolute terrible job with game planning. And he couldn't, even if he was good, I don't know that he would have been able to show it yesterday. I honestly don't. I don't think CJ Stroud would have had a good game yesterday. And that's, <clears throat> so I think there's a couple different talking points. I don't think that we, disagree as much as you think that we might disagree because I am with you that Ryan Day sort of fumbled the quarterback situation as far as we expected it to go or to be but in fairness he didn't say it was going to be a 50-50 split he didn't say it was going to be a 60-40 split he said that Devin Brown had earned the right he got three meaningful snaps that is not playing time that's bs he did not take another snap until the game was out of hand three snaps is is not he's going to play that that's i don't buy that okay that's fair but it was a three and out like he was hoping it would be three more but like say he gets just one more possession in the first half then you're talking about a 60-40 split, and I, then I don't know how fair that is to your starter. Like It was less than an ideal situation. I get what you're saying. Um, 
And I don't want to come off as some sort of apologist. I just things went like shit went sideways real quick. Well, what's the Chris Paul shit got away real quick? What you know? Whatever he said in the post game interview, it's viral all over the place. Things didn't go well. They didn't go according to plan. And then I do think that Ryan Day probably reacted poorly, managed it poorly, whatever. So, like, we're not on two separate pages. We differ a little bit. I just – you you move one more position, one more possession to Devin Brown, then we're almost close to a 50-50 split. And so I don't know how that's fair to Kyle McCord. So I just – I don't think that there was a good – or a perfect way to handle this. But we can both agree that it wasn't handled the best. So, you know, again, bringing it back to McCord, and, and this is your point, the the plays that were called, that's a conversation to be had. I, I don't think that they did him any favors. And I don't know what favors he did to himself because, again, it was so fluky. I'm, I'm sort of like you. I don't know how good he is or is not. I did find it strange, though, just design, call some easy stuff, like or or force feed Marvin Harrison Jr. Emeka Buka, get them the ball, and there really wasn't much of an effort to do that, and so that's where I don't think that it was beneficial to Kyle McCord, unless he was just looking the other way or, or refused to target those guys, which I I believe they all live together, like they're roommates. We know his relationship with Marvin Harrison Jr. Like it it should be pretty good, right? So I don't think that that is the case. That could be play calling where it's like, hey, Kyle, look, Marv and Emeka, they're not your ones on this, or you know, they're not your primaries on this. Who the heck knows what happened there? But again, I think Kyle McCord had some good throws. I want to see them open it up. Even if Kyle McCord falls on his face, open it up, treat him like you treated C.J. Stroud in the past, like you treated Justin Fields in the past, maybe a combination of both. Like He was willing to run, so he's somewhere in between a Fields and a Stroud when it comes to running the ball. Call a Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud game plan, and then let me see what Kyle McCord can do and Devin Brown at some point. If he can't do it the next two weeks, then you have your answer, right? If Youngstown State and Western Kentucky aren't games that he can open it up against, either of them, you have your answer, and you can just make the adjustment then. But you're right, because you cannot – if you go into South Bend and run the offense you ran yesterday, you lose by 14 points, and you're never in the game, in my opinion. That's probably right, and – it's going to be interesting to see how they handle these next two weeks. Like, I don't know if they just sort of say, Kyle, this is your game. Devin, this is your game. And maybe split it up and one starts one, the other starts the other. You know what I mean? But, <clears throat> yeah, you got to let it open up. You got to open it up and see what these guys have. You can't baby the situation. You can't be conservative in the lead up to Notre Dame. You have to find things out. But, you know, I a lot of people brought up C.J. Stroud as a comp. You know, C.J. Stroud, his first half against Minnesota, 8 for 14, 58 yards and an interception. So it's not like he lit the world on fire. And they they opened up against Minnesota in 2021. So let Kyle McCord. Br- yes, but Minnesota was also a 
upper half of the Big Ten team. They actually had fans in the stands, and he made a bunch of good throws in the second half. I agree. Their first half looked the same. Minnesota was twice the team Indiana is, and this, that stadium was two-thirds full yesterday, and two-thirds of those were Buckeye fans. That was a home game played at an away stadium. It's not the same. Yeah, I mean, different but the same, right? I'm just looking for some sort of parallel because I don't, I don't think it's fair to bash Kyle McCord for his performance is pretty much what I'm saying. He, he'd like to have back a couple of throws. It's been a while since he played or started. <clears throat> you know, C.J. Stroud also threw for infinity yards his second game. So hopefully we also see Kyle McCord turn it on. But let's move past that because honestly, like, we're probably not going to have answers before South Bend. Would you, do you think that's fair? Like, we are not going to know who the guy is if we have a guy until that Notre Dame game? Uh, I think there's a possibility that it's down to one guy. I think the only thing you can definitely say is if they struggled or not. I don't think you can confirm, okay, yeah, McCord goes out and throws for 350 yards the next two weeks. Great. I'm here for it. But it doesn't confirm he can do it against Notre Dame until he does. So you're right there. But he goes out and throws for 150 yards the next two games, then it's, oh, oh, we're in trouble. Yeah, at that point, I think that Lincoln Keenholz or Keinholz will have gotten some reps in. You probably just go LK47. I have high hopes for him. And he just starts ripping it up at Notre Dame. But let's talk running backs. The Ohio State running game, not great, not bad. 31 carries, 143 yards. You look at the three main running backs here. Chip Trinum led the team. Eight carries, 57 yards, 7.1 yard average. I thought he looked awesome. And not only was he like RB2, he was also FB1. He was your lead blocker at fullback. He's available as a linebacker if you need him. I think he was on special teams. He looked great. I think... His uh, like just his get up and go. He's a big dude who can move fast when he gets pointed in the right direction. I thought he looked great. I thought Travion Henderson looked like we want Travion Henderson to look. I think that he was shifty. He had a just a, a short carry, five six yard gain, where he had a couple jump cuts, just nasty. He looked really good. I thought, or at least like we want him to look. And then Mayan Williams was used as your bruiser, your short yardage guy for the most part. Caught a nice wheel route. Few knew he had that in his game, but he he can surprise you. You know, he had some good receptions last year as well. Travion had 12 carries for 47 yards. Mayan Williams, 7 for 25. Both under a four-yard four yard per carry average there. And Mayan Williams fell into the end zone twice. I thought... All the running backs looked pretty good. I think that that is going to be a dangerous group, a dangerous unit. But that, similar to everything else we saw, they have to figure out how to use them and how they're going to be successful, how they're going to run the ball best. They got to figure out their run blocking because it was not great. We'll get to the offensive line. Pass pro very good. Not so much run block, but I don't know if it was them. You know, you're running boundaries every single time, and you're asking guys to get to spots. Um, you're ignoring 
run blitzes or you're just not picking up, that could be on the offensive line. That could be on Justin Fry. I'm not sure. I wish I was an expert. I'm not. <clears throat> but the running backs look like they could be a force and a strength of this team moving forward. Do you agree? I do. And I I put even if we don't if I didn't put anything on Kyle McCord, I put even less on the running backs because you can only do so much in these short yardage scenarios if you can't get any push or you can't get any room to operate. And that's what happened. Like these, those short yardage was a disaster. And you would think looking at some of these, these yard per carries that they weren't effective, but when you're getting blasted in the backfield, like you can only do so much. And it was, um, it was concerning to say the least. Now I do think I'm hopeful that they saw what worked and because there were there were plays that specifically worked. And here's the thing, at the college level, you don't need 25 run plays. You need, like, three good run plays both ways. That's it. Figure out what those three run plays are both ways based on the, the people you got there. And let's figure it out. You obviously think this is the best offensive line. So figure out what they can do, and let's, let's just run that. What I don't think it is is lining up in – lining up under center and running to the boundary each and every time like that became predictable Indiana figured that out yeah like that's where I go back to this just being an odd game like you can say that Ryan Day and or Brian Hartline called a poor game maybe that's true I just I I sort of don't know what was going on because they didn't utilize these guys in in ways that they could even just being under center as much as they were I'm not sure what the the reasoning there is. I'm sure there is a thought process that goes into it, and that's what those guys were comfortable with. But, you know, Travion Henderson is not, in my opinion, you know, the halfback in an I-formation look. Like, I just, I don't think that's his game. I think that you have to figure out a way to quickly get him in space and let him work. And like they just weren't creative with him at all. Um, remember, once upon a time he could catch the ball, or he was viewed as a receiving back. Like I, I guess I, I don't know if he had uh, a, uh, like a lawnmower accident 18 months ago that we don't know about, and he's missing fingers, and they're just stuffed it. Like I don't know what's going on there. They don't use him in the passing game at all. Uh, no screens. No. Nothing. I saw him go out, line up wide a time or two, but I think they have to figure out a Travion Henderson, not a package. I think they have to figure out some ways to get to be creative in getting him the ball because he, at least yesterday in a small-ish sample size, like he looked ready to go. And I think if that's going to be your most dynamic back. You can use Chip Tranum and Mayan Williams for more of the interior runs as your bruiser guys. I think it starts with Travion Henderson. Figure out a way to get him the ball in space and let him do some things. I could not agree more. And I think a lot of this, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to like go through every single one of these and just want to bash the coaching staff. Because at some point, the players got to make the plays. And I think part of the challenge 
And I wonder if we were, if, if Ryan Day, as he talked up this offensive line, and maybe we just, we go ahead and shift into that next area. Like, he okay. really talked this offensive line up, and they were not good. They they just were, they were not good. I know they were okay in pass pro. I thought they were good. We We can... I thought they were good in pass pro. Running, run blocking, yes, different story. Run blocking was their their short yardage run blocking was it was it was atrocious. Like Indiana, it's one thing for Indiana to be able to scheme its way to some things in the backfield, but these guys that were just blowing them off the ball are two hundred and forty pound guys. Like Andre Carter's not. 280, 290, 310 pounds. Like he's 240 pounds coming out of the Mac. And he was in the backfield multiple times. Like this is not, it, it was a, it was unfortunately what I was concerned about when we made the, or not we, when the decisions were made on where guys were playing. And they didn't, they didn't live up to it. So now you've got two leagues, the same thing, right? Okay, if they go and they can knock Youngstown State off the ball, what does that prove? Nothing. Now, if they don't, we got, they, they've got some problems they've got to figure out. But now you have no idea if this offensive line can hold up at Notre Dame because they didn't hold up against a, a lower-level Big Ten team in a pretty easy environment. So... I'm going to push back quite a bit on the pass pro. I thought that they were really good. You know, I don't think Kyle McCord really ever faced pressure. Now, he had the near fumble, but that was one. Other than that, it was a clean sheet. But let's take into account the team they were playing against. You've said Indiana has stunk. I tend to agree with that. So, even though I thought that they looked really good in pass pro, I don't know that it means a lot against Indiana. When it comes to run blocking and their run blocking yesterday, like I need to really watch like play by play or something like like watch each run play or something. I don't know what they were asked to do. There were definitely times where guys got pushed back when they shouldn't have by players from Indiana that shouldn't have pushed them back. But you know, there was a it was early on. There was a a run to the right side, and somebody came across Josh Simmons's face, and like he was caught with his pants down completely, like just whiffed, was not quick enough to get there, didn't read the situation, whatever. We know Josh Simmons, or we've heard that he is an, an uber athlete, so I don't think that it's it was a matter of him being quick enough. What was he asked to do? And that's where, like, look, I'm not an offensive line expert. It seemed like guys were being asked to move as opposed to just take on the guy in front of them, if that makes sense. So I'd have to go back and look at it. It certainly wasn't a clinic by that offensive line, but that's where I hope they use this as, teaching tape and a learning opportunity we don't know what scrimmages are like and this was the first game against a team that wants to beat you 
like an actual opponent that wants to beat you. And if Ohio State's offensive line has looked good all camp and during fall practice, then I, I don't know. Maybe that says something about the Ohio State defensive line, which I know we'll get to. We got to get through the rest of this stuff. But I think offensive line is TBD. Not a great performance. Uh, if I had to give him a grade, I'd probably give him like a C. And you are right. These next two opponents, they're not going to be a test. So that is concerning because even if they do look great, to your point, they look great against much lower level competition. So that's definitely a concern. What we have not gotten to yet on the offensive side of the ball is let's lump wide receivers and tight ends in together. I was going to say, you only get 20 seconds on Cade. You don't get you don't get a full five minutes on Cade, even though I know you'd love it. No, I mean I think he did what he was asked to do, and I thought that he was a he played uh, well. He played really well, and he looked he looked faster than he was last year, and that could be it. That could be a, a weapon. That he he looked really good. I, I am here for the Cade Stover show week one, and he is. You know he was a safety blanket of sorts, but then you know that seam route where he had the 49-yard gain or whatever it was, that was a good ball. That was a good catch. And, yeah, you're right. Like, he pulled away from a guy, broke a tackle. I thought he just looked really good. Now, I noticed he missed a block or two or didn't knock those out of the park. Look, he's not Gronk. But he will block, and he had a couple good ones, too. You have to take the good with the bad when it comes to Cade Stover's blocking. Um, Julian Fleming... Found space a number of times. Like I said earlier, he led the team in catches with six. I think that's going to be his role, is an underneath guy most of the time, getting open when others aren't or when the attention is on others. Carnell Tate, I know I'm, I'm bearing the lead. We haven't got to the other guys yet. Carnell Tate got on the field, which is promising. Uh, I don't think we saw any Jaden Ballard, so... Carnell Tate is definitely your wide receiver four. <clears throat> we also didn't see much Xavier Johnson, which, uh, again, like we thought he might be a weapon of sorts. Hopefully, hopefully this offense looks a lot different, but let's not backtrack. Carnell Tate had a drop, had a catch. So, mixed bag. The stars, though. <clears throat> Marvin Harrison Jr., he did have eight targets. I'm assuming one of which was counted as the play where he stepped out of bounds. That's an error on his part. I know he got nudged, but he has to know better and fight through that more. And that was probably just a bit of, he's not a lazy guy. That was probably a lazy play. Let's just call it what it is. Um, an out that was just beyond him. Uh, a fade in the end zone that was not put to where he could catch it. So... Not all of his eight targets were great. They got to find a way to get him the ball. I mean, he is inarguably the best wide receiver in college football. Two catches, 18 yards on on eight targets. Both of his receptions went for nine yards. They didn't use him. You know, I didn't see him on a slant. I just... It was really odd, the usage and the targeting of Marvin Harrison Jr. You find ways to get him the ball. Even if it's the screens that we hate 
as Ohio State fans, you find ways to get him the ball. And then Kyle McCord, like, that's your boy. You guys have been with each other for like seven, eight years. I didn't see that that ESP, that shared brain. And maybe that's Kyle McCord being nervous and just doing things a certain way. And then Emeka Ibuka, everything was short. Everything was underneath. They used him like a gadget player. Like they used Xavier Johnson basically in certain games last year. Odd usage of those guys, and that has to that has to do a 180. I mentioned like a 120, a 150 earlier, maybe turning a corner. No, that has to be different in every single way. Those guys have to be force-fed the ball. I just don't understand the concept of not trying to get your best players the ball when you're trying yeah. to get a quarterback indoctrinated. We all talk about Kyle McCord hasn't played a lot. We ha- He hasn't seen a ton of field time. Great. Throw the ball to the guys that have proven they can catch the ball. Like, this is college football. Like, there, you can't tell me Indiana's defensive coordinator is Bill Belichick reincarnated and he can take the best player out of a game. Yeah, Man. yeah. Even if they are, no. Those guys on Indiana cannot guard one-on-one or maybe even two-on-one MHJ and Abuka. They can't do it. They can't. And the ones that, that he missed on, great, throw it again. I get it. He missed a couple throws. So you don't all of a sudden start throwing it to uh, Fleming underneath because he missed one throw. Like I, you're either in or you're out as a play calling status. Like, are we in on these guys or are we out? If we're in, you got to stay in. You can't just abandon them in the first game of the season. Like, what the hell? Like, I, the that part of it is so mind blowing that I, I just you can't even fathom that that was the concept that the coaching staff came up with I wonder if he looked different in the second half and I again like I wish I could sit here and watch the all 22 and watch what Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka were doing on each play I wonder if Kyle McCord wasn't comfortable pushing the ball downfield early and maybe that's there was actually sort of like a, a sluggo that Marvin Harrison Jr. ran that it, it would have been six <clears throat> October of last year, or like when C.J. Stroud was comfortable, even in 2021. I, I wish I knew exactly when it was. And McCord didn't let the play develop, and it ended up, I think, being a catch for Fleming for, you know, whatever, 10-yard gain, whatever it was. But maybe that was a Kyle McCord thing, not pushing the ball downfield. And if that's the case... Uh, again, that's maybe concerning because that's his guy, but new quarterback. Like I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep telling myself that it's all newness because there were some shots that were missed as well, and you can't put that on the coaches or the receivers if Kyle McCord is not taking those shots. You can put it on the coaches that he Devin Brown didn't get opportunities if Kyle McCord wasn't taking those shots. So if he's not following the game plan and you didn't follow through on your 50 or your, your play both quarterbacks concept, then it does fall back to the coaches because let's see if the other guy can. Let's see if he can execute the game plan because you know what? Executing the game plan is job number one of the quarterback. 
and that I will we are in total agreement. I've pushed back on some of the quarterback stuff, but yes, if you're calling shots downfield and Kyle McCord refuses to pull the trigger, then you put somebody in who's willing to shoot. And I completely agree with you there. Before we get to the defense, Chuck, anything else you want to say about this offense? Or are you ready to move on? Cause it was a pretty mediocre performance. Mediocre performance. Let's, uh, let's talk about some defense here. All right. So on defense, Ohio State gave up three points. Uh, gosh, I switched tabs. That's on me. Um, only, sorry, bear with me, 153 total yards. Uh, Indiana averaged 2.2 yards per carry. Their quarterbacks went 9 for 21. Didn't really do anything until the fourth quarter. Like I said, I think it was late in the third or early fourth when Indiana was 2 for 7, 27 yards. So, yeah, on paper, Ohio State's defense looked stout. They Three points is the fewest, I think, that Ohio State has given up since like 2019. And we know the sort of defense they had in 2019. So you think that that's great. And I'm not going to zag. I think for the most part it was. But let's go position group by position group here. The defensive line I thought was fine. You mentioned the defensive tackles. Yes, I thought they got some good push, some good pressure. Um, didn't see much from Ty Hamilton, but like Mike Hall looked pretty good. Tyleek Williams was in on some tackles. Jaden McKenzie, Hero Canoe got pushed late. I thought they were both credited with a sack. Everywhere I've seen, like they they took away the Jaden McKenzie sack. I don't know if that's because he went for the German suplex and people just didn't like that, but those guys, (laughs) those guys got pushed. They limited the run game. The defensive ends, however, um, not a whole lot to speak of there. And that's something that I think we all were hoping for, that we were counting on. Yes, JT Tuimoloau and Jack Sawyer, they were both, I think, credited with four tackles apiece. JT may have had like a half a tackle for less. Sorry, I keep switching tabs here. Um... And yeah, like there were moments where guys were involved, but the pass rush was pretty non-existent. But I don't know if that's because of the Indiana game plan. Like if they just refuse to pass, does that make JT Tuimolo out and Jack Sawyer play their game a different way? Like are they like, okay, hey, I have to contain, I have to watch for a running back. I can't pin my ears back because Indiana has no interest in throwing the ball. I don't have the answer to that. But I I do want to ask the question. Do you think that those guys were affected by what Indiana started to do and they just they couldn't get after the quarterback out of like caution? I sure hope so. Because it was like there was no push from the outside and it it you know, you you want to give them the benefit of the doubt because when a team that runs the air raid starts the game with two straight option plays, it's kind of like, oh, oh what, what the hell's going on here? So uh, kudos to them. I think Indiana knew they were outmanned and they were trying, literally pulling everything out 
that they could in an attempt to try to keep this game closed and then obviously put it on tape for other teams. I think they pulled about an inch or two out because when you just don't try to throw the ball at all, you're definitely not showing everything. You know what I mean? They tried to Mil- Milton Burrow, but they didn't have anything to actually Milton Burrow home with is the issue. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it wasn't an impressive performance by them. I really don't care how many tackles three yards down the field that your defensive end gets. I think that's a, a bad stat. So I, I'm not impressed with that. If the middle can hold up the way they did and not give any ground and even kind of push a little bit, maybe that helps keep them single covered on the outside. And when somebody's actually throwing the ball 30, 40 times, you can see something there because it wasn't um, anything that that you even want wanted to. Like Kenyatta Jackson, you didn't. I don't think I heard his name called the entire game. I did. I saw Mitch Melton got to play a few snaps. I didn't hear his name called. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't what you wanted, but it was like you said with the offense. It was a weird game, and ultimately. Indiana didn't score, so it's it's a a not a win, but a win. You know, I mentioned neutered multiple times earlier. Couple phallic references there. Uh, for a Sunday morning, we might be going down a bad road, but you know it is what it is. We apologize in advance, but I do want to go back to wait until a Sunday if they were to unfortunately lose a game. Woo! Yeah. But I'm going to use that neutered phrase again because I do think that the defensive ends were were somewhat neutered in this game. I do think that what Indiana did affected their style of play. And for what it's worth, you know, with JT Tuimolo out, I've said this, like, he he's not Von Miller. And I think certain people, not you, I think certain people need to sort of accept that and and realize that and I, I'm not saying I'm a football savant but like he's not going to be Von Miller Bruce Smith like he is a well balanced defensive end and like that's good that's fine you want that he may not have a dozen sacks this year and so on the other side or opposite him or in rotation yeah, didn't see much from Jack Sawyer. And then Kenyatta Jackson, you're right, didn't hear anything from him. I don't think that he got a ton of opportunity until the end. And then you did see him, or at least I saw him quite a bit in the fourth quarter because the assumption was Indiana was then going to run the ball or pass the ball. And it didn't produce any stats, I don't think. For what it's worth, though, he had a nasty, nasty dip under of Indiana's right tackle that had Indiana not thrown the ball in a half a second. Like, that's something that JT Tuimolo and Jack Sawyer haven't shown. Like, he was parallel to the ground. And I wish we were visual right now and I could have this queued up, right? Like the Joe Rogan podcast. It was a nasty dip. Like, he got his shoulder low to the ground. So it was one flash, but it was a flash. I feel like we're burying the defensive tackles, but they were good. Like, they got pressure. We said their names. They did everything we needed them to do, or, you know, Ohio State fans needed them to do. Behind those guys, at linebacker, Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg played 
most, if not all, of the snaps at traditional linebacker. <clears throat> I'm fine with that, except for I really, really want to see C.J. Hicks get on the field. And that is becoming a frustration of mine. I get that you have two really good linebackers, but you're going to burn them out. <clears throat> and you're going to... You're going to start to affect C.J. Hicks and others if they don't see the field. So I think they have to figure out a rotation there. But look, Tommy Eichenberg is as good as they come. Steel Chambers is a great athlete. Uh, he had a really nice, at least one nice tackle on the outside where he tracked a guy down, chased him down. Linebackers looked good. Can't say a whole lot else, but Chuck, what do you have to add on that linebacker play? It was interesting to see only Cody Simon get in at the end that they didn't bring in Hicks and Simon, that they felt like they couldn't bring them both in maybe. I, I don't know. But it was concerning that he didn't get any meaningful snaps. Uh, you would have thought Tommy with two unbroken hands could have held on to that interception and hit him in his weak spot. <laughs> uh, I mean, Indiana could not have thrown it in a better spot for him. Uh, unfortunately, we know why he plays linebacker instead of tight end now. It must, maybe it was a competition between him and Cade, and that's why Tommy's still a linebacker. But, yeah, they, they look good. Hopefully this weekend and next weekend we can get the guys behind them some reps and kind of see what this rotator, this uh, unit as a whole looks like. For sure. And the, the last thing I'll say is just I'll reiterate, C.J. Hicks needs to see the field at some point. That's my only other thing for the linebackers. Sort of shifting, but sort of not. Let's get to the secondary slash Sonny Styles, who was almost a third linebacker at times. And Chuck, I actually don't know if you noticed this or saw this. <clears throat> Lathan Ransom made an appearance or two in the box as well. So I think that they're they're going to be creative with their safeties this year. But let's just talk about the secondary as a whole. Not much to speak of with the cornerbacks, except for I thought all flashed. Um, some good things. You know, Denzel Burke had two pass breakups. Davis Nigmanosin, I think, had one. He had a couple nice open field tackles. Jordan Hancock, I don't know if he was credited with a pass breakup. He had a really nice one late in the game. Seemed like they really did rotate there, which I'm fine with in a game like this. And maybe even moving forward, as long as the players are okay with it and can find a rhythm. But sticking with the cornerbacks, I thought in limited sample size, they looked pretty good. And it might be a Denzel Burke revenge season based on a little bit of throwing from this Indiana team. I like that Denzel got the, uh, the Dion stat line, zero tackles, two passes defense. <laughs> He's just out there to not pass us down. Yeah, the, the corners looked really good. I love the physicality of Davis and Igbenosin. The only thing that drives me crazy, and I cannot stand this, he got up after that pass interference and put his hands up like he couldn't believe they called it. He had his hands on that kid the entire route. He never, literally never took his hands off the guy. He had his jersey from two yards to eight yards, all the way to the ground. My man, it was pass interference. It was one play, get over it. But holy smokes. Now, I think that comes with his 
physical nature, and he does. He likes to mix it up. He has no problem putting his hat in there and and being a guy that can attack when he needs to go get a ball carrier or a receiver that's got the ball. So I'm 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 super excited about that. Almost as excited as I am about these safeties. You know damn well though that that's just in cornerback DNA. I didn't commit that penalty. Um, <clears throat> when a ball is thrown into the first row, it is required that a cornerback must celebrate like he broke up the pass. <laughs> like I get what you're saying. It is sort of funny. Um, it, it sort of comes with the cornerback situation. Looking at safeties, not a ton to say. I mean, well, I guess there is. Sonny Styles looked fantastic, especially early on. He was flying around the ball, flying around the field, getting to the ball. He is going to be a weapon. And I thought that there were at least a, a handful of plays where he ruined the option. Like, I used quarterback, whoever it was, was like, well, you know, shit, I know that this guy can take me down. I know he can get to the edge. Like, I'm sort of stuck here. And then he did make a couple plays on the boundary. So, great things from him. We probably need to see him in a, against a more sophisticated offense to really get a read on what he has learned and how he has developed. But he gets an A, A-. minus. For his first game as a starter. And then Lathan Ransom. I mean he was out there. He's Lathan Ransom. He didn't let anything bad happen. Didn't get to really learn anything about him. But what is there to learn? I think he's going to be a studying presence. That other safety spot though. Uh, Josh Proctor sort of got the surprise start. I guess we heard there was going to be a rotation there. I don't know what the rotation was. I do not recall seeing Jihad Carter out there. I did see, or we did see, um, oh gosh, give it to me. Malik Hartford, sorry, get in in the fourth quarter and make at least one play, maybe two. It was good to see him out there. We, we had heard throughout the last couple of fall practices or whatever that he was really making an impression. <clears throat> it was good to see Proctor out there. He made some plays. He took a terrible angle on at least one other, which is what you're going to get with Josh Proctor. Like He's going to be a heat-seeking missile, and you can't always control those things. He's going to whiff if he gets some bad coordinates. But um, I liked what I saw from him, and I liked what I saw from Lee Hartford. Chuck, what did you see with that secondary? I think Hartford even got in earlier than that. It almost seemed like it was half and half pretty close that those two played. And I'm, I'm glad the freshman earned some playing time. I'm glad they're giving him the playing time if he thought he earned it. I was really shocked to not see Jahad Carter out there. For him to be, and I know he was hurt in spring and missed some of summer, but for what you heard him starting camp running with the ones, for him to not be able to, quote-unquote, hold on to the job was a little surprising. It will be interesting to see if he can earn some time or if he can earn a spot maybe helping out at strong safety with Lathan Ransom or if Josh Proctor's misguided missiles leads to some playing time. But I think all in all, 
it was a good first showing. Now let's see what they can do when somebody wants to fling it all over the yard. Right. And I don't know how much it's going to matter, but, and I haven't, look, I haven't followed Western Kentucky closely. I know it's in a couple of weeks. Last I recall, that's a team that likes to throw the ball all over the yard. And maybe they've changed it, but maybe that will be a test for them. It seems like you hope that that is a test for this Ohio State secondary because Notre Dame will test those guys with Sam Hartman in, in just under a month. But yeah, with the, with the whole Jihad Carter thing, it is strange because he's a versatile guy. Like he doesn't just have to be deployed as a center fielder uh, against a pass-heavy offense. He can play in the box. And that's what he did on occasion at Syracuse. Now, <clears throat> from what I've seen of him, I think that he is better as a, a slot, nickel, center fielder type of guy, more so than he is an in-the-box boomer. And not, not even that Josh Proctor spent a lot of time in the box, but I just mean like, I think he's more finesse than physicality. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he's got plenty of both attributes. And so it was surprising, but if Malik Hartford is making a push, well then the best need to be on the field. And that's clearly what Jim Knowles and Perry Eliano and Tim Walton felt yesterday that Malik Hartford was second best there. So, um, Special teams real quick. Jaden Fielding, good job. Punting, good job. Jesse Mirko, sorry, forgot the name for a second. Coverage, not great. But, you know, that's why you have a special teams coordinator, I guess, to get better there. We're not going to have that conversation. I don't want to get into it. I don't. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're lucky Gene's not still on this pod, or you'd be doing 25 minutes on it. For what it's worth, and I, I don't think the pressure was that great, but Jaden Fielding, I mean, he boomed a 40-yarder, and he kicked it where he needed to kick it. But, yeah, like I'm not going to give that much more time and effort. The coverage needs to get better. The kick coverage needs to get better. Absolutely. Can I say Jaden Fielding should not have gotten to kick one of those field goals, and this is completely off topic, but because it was part of a field goal, when they went for fourth down at the 17 and ran that wheel route to Mayan, so it's fourth down, fourth and nine on the 17th, you decide your best play is a wheel route to Mayan Williams. He, to his credit, pulled it in. So you're at the, I don't know, what do you got, the six, seven-yard line. You end up at like fourth and five. Fourth and three. From there, or fourth and four, three, and then you kick it. What? what <laughs> why? Just take it the first time. I know exactly why. And you're going to know why once I tell you. Because you've played video games. you played Madden. you played NCAA. Sometimes you don't convert on third. And you get so pissed off that you're like, stay on the effing field. We're doing something on fourth down. Just because you're mad, that's what Ryan Day did. He was like, stay on the effing field. I don't care if it's fourth and nine. And then maybe like, then maybe he got back into Ryan Day headspace. Was like, well, let, let, let's take the points here. I think it was frustration, but it was 
definitely odd. It was frustrating. A million people said it. Peculiar, to say the least. If Ryan Day is managing his play calling, like I managed my Madden and college football play calling, he should be terminated immediately. That's fair. Um, so we went, I mean, we went pretty long on the position group breakdown, and I'm not surprised because this was not the game that we expected to see. Sort of frustrating, but I still want to do our, our categories because I want to do this on a, a weekly basis. It can be quick. We can have some crossover. Chuck, give me some winners from this game. Winners, I'm going to go with a couple. I still think the running backs were a winner in the sense that they showed they were an asset and could be very productive. I think I was a winner because college football is back. And I think that's it. That's all I got. I thought I had more, but I think those are the two. I, I'll be honest. The defense is a winner in the sense that they gave up three points, but there's not really something you can hang your hat on. So I get Jim Knowles is a winner. How about that? Because no big plays, three points, whether everything worked as it could have, it didn't. Great. He gave up three points on the road in the Big Ten, even to a crappy team, is a win. For sure. Uh, I think I'll agree with all of those. I'll also throw in Cade Stover, five for 98, the leading receiver. I knew it. I knew it. I'll also throw Julian Fleming out there. He's always a winner. He led the team in reception. <laughs> but um, What's real estate look like? The real estate, I mean, after this week, real estate had to at least flat, right? We're not, you're not losing any more value after this weekend. We actually have a couple showings scheduled for some of our properties, which it had been, it had been a thin, thin summer, but, um, but no, in all honesty, like Stover has to be a winner. He looked really good. The running backs. Yeah. Like it looks like they could be a really formidable group and you know, I'm trying to add another one just to be a little bit different. I'll say the corners. I will call the cornerbacks winners, the three of them. It seems like the Denzel Burke hype is, is real through at least one week. We need to see him against a better passing team. But Davis Nygmanos and Jordan Hancock also had their moments. So I'll add the cornerbacks as winners. We, I, I don't want to go another hour and 15, but give me some losers from this week, Chuck, from week one. My, mine is offensive play calling slash uh, preparation and offensive line play. I'll go with – I have a couple losers. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka were losers this week because they were in, not of their own doing. They weren't featured. They didn't get the ball nearly enough. And, you know, now Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to have to put up two, at least 200 yards in weeks two and three to get back in any sort of Heisman running, which I say in jest, but those guys need to get the ball. And I'm sure that they were frustrated. So 
the wide receivers, those two wide receivers were losers in my opinion. Devin Brown, I guess, was a loser. Again, not of his own doing, but yeah, not very fair. Not getting to really see the field. And then, you know, I'll say this. I, I'm not going to pick on the kid. He didn't really get much of an opportunity. But when he did get to throw the ball three straight times at the end of the game, he was, what, one for three, minus two yards. He missed one open receiver at least. But, again, I'm not going to – that's not why he's a loser. It's because he didn't get to play. And I was also a loser, just like you were a winner because week one was back. I was a loser because week one wasn't that exciting, and Colorado pulled off a victory. I am already so, so, so sick and tired of the Coach Prime hype. Credit to him and credit to some guys on his team like Shador Sanders is a great point guard. Travis Hunter is the real deal. The running back that they flipped from Notre Dame, the true freshman, might be the real deal. But just they people act like they won the Super Bowl. TCU returned like 11% of their offensive production. Their defense stunk out loud. So before we crown Colorado and Coach Prime gets something else embroidered on his personalized polo, like, let's rein it in a little bit. I want to see what happens when they play Oregon, USC, Oregon State. I think they miss Washington or Oregon. No, they miss Washington State this year. Like, let's pump the brakes a little bit. I just have two words for you, and they're really good words. Go Buffs. I'm here for it. Let's go, Coach Prime. Let's go. Colorado, I'm here for it. I want to see it. I want to see how this experiment works because it's going to be fascinating either way. And you're right, TCU didn't bring anybody back, but they're still a Big 12 team. And if we're going to say Ohio State beating Indiana was good enough, then you can say Coach Prime beating the defending national runners-up is also good enough. My problem with it is it's about him. I know he'll give credit and he'll talk up a couple of his guys. Well, of course you're going to talk up a couple of guys that you, you know, one's your kid. And then Travis Hunter, you know, the number one recruit in the nation a couple of years ago. Like you're going to, you're going to pat his ass and rub his head as much as you need to, because that's your golden goose. And I know there's a good relationship. Like I'm not saying that, Deion Sanders is not authentic in in some way, but it's about him, man. Like when they run the graphics for Big Noon Kickoff and he's riding a damn buffalo, like it's about him. In the first half, when every commercial break has a Coach Prime commercial, like it's about him. This is about his ego, his caricature, and I, I am sick of that. Already, that's my big problem. I know I'm going to come across as a hater. I hate it. I don't hate him. I hate the spectacle that he has made it. He is no different than Saban or Dabo or Jimbo or Urban 
These guys are all the same way. They're all wired the same way. He just is given more of an outlet because he was the baddest cornerback that ever lived and had a persona before he became a coach. But all these guys, it's all about them. Guess who's in the commercials, the Aflac commercials with him? Coach Saban. Like, it, it, is, it is a coaching epidemic. It is not just prime. You're just a hater, and you may win player hater of the year at the 2023 player haters ball on the Chappelle's show. I just – I want to see what the talk is when Colorado goes five and seven. That's all. That's all. Like, I don't know that we need to reveal a banner, but <clears throat> yeah, there are coaches that are like that. Saban's on his victory lap though. You know, he's got a hundred titles. He's allowed to be in some commercials now, but PJ Fleck is not, you know, he's not allowed to have the ego that he has. So I, I, I get it. Chuck, let's do. PJ just hasn't gotten any commercials. Affleck doesn't want him. Yeah, and you know his team might go five and seven this year too. We don't need to talk about last Thursday. That was some awful, awful Big Ten football. I wanted to do fantasy MVP before we get out of here, though, or fantasy MVPs. Obviously, fantasy football is not as prevalent in college football, but there are leagues out there. Chuck and I are both fantasy football junkies in general, so I don't think I need to explain this. But Chuck, who? was your fantasy MVP or who were your fantasy MVPs from Ohio State or, you know, their game week one? There, there's only two guys that you can even have a conversation about, right? It's Cade Stover and Maya Williams. Mayan got the two touchdowns and Cade got the 10 catches and 90 or 95 yards and was it five catches like that. They were the only ones that were fantasy relevant. I agree, and since you were selfish enough to to bring up two, that doesn't really leave me with one, except for, look, Jaden Fielding, three for three, one was 40 yards, which in some leagues is worth an extra point, so I will add Jaden Fielding as a fantasy MVP, but we're going to get out of here. Chuck and I have gone about 90 minutes on week one. They may or may not be as long in the future, but there was a lot to unpack, a lot to talk about here. We thank you guys for sticking with us. And generally speaking, we thank you guys for listening and conversing with us and hitting us up on social media and all of that good stuff. So Chuck and I will be back on Wednesday with a game preview week two, Ohio State and Youngstown State. Until then... Uh, Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. We appreciate you guys. And until Wednesday, go Bucks.